Well, good morning. Um, it's, it's great to be here in worship. I, I, and to, yeah, just to see another church in Pittsburgh that's just faithfully proclaiming the gospel and is being faithful to gather together and to proclaim the truth. And so it's exciting to see you guys and just exciting to see you lead this. So, um, yeah, at the beginning... I provided kind of a quick snapshot of where we're at, uh, so I won't dive into that. However, happy to talk about it after the fact, if that's, if that's something that's interesting to you. Um, but what I want to do is really just say pretty exciting stuff right now, but what I want to share with you is take you back to about a year ago in our journey, where I feel like God really changed everything for us, uh, where God, I would say, rocked me. Uh, I would say that uh, there was a point in our planting journey where God got my attention and he, he showed me something in his word about the kingdom of God and specifically how the church, the church, we as the church are called to fit into it, how we're called to relate to it. And so it's a bit of what we're going to be talking about today. And so let me take you back to the beginning of last year. Uh, we had been in Pittsburgh for about two years at that point, um, and things were really going well, I would say. I would say it was going very well. Uh, we, our family had gotten established. We had begin to, began to fall in love with Pittsburgh. Uh, we, had, we were getting a lot of affirmation and development from our re- residency church, where I felt confident in what we were stepping into, felt like that we had a vision for our church, a, a, uh, some rhythms for our church that would help us serve our community well. Um, really, we were just excited. Because not only that, we were developing a lot of relationships, some strong, healthy relationships with our friends and with our neighbors. We were beginning to develop important relationships with our community. Uh, Scott Primary is a school that's behind our house. We were serving them, and we had developed a good relationship there. Uh, Ruckus Cafe, the place that I just told you about that's on Babcock, we were building a really health, helpful and healthy relationship with them as they sought to serve the community, and we were helping them do that. And really our team, our team had developed. God had, uh, it was us, our family, and then there was one other family that came up from Tennessee. But then the rest of the people were just people that we developed relationships with here in Pittsburgh, which was a huge win. And so really, things were rocking, and we were excited. And really, it, it reached a head where... Um, we were invited by Ruckus. Uh, she was closed on Easter, and she said, hey, why don't you guys just come and have an Easter service if that's what you're about? Because she's not a believer. She was like, come do it if that's what you want, because it's completely closed. And so when you have a, a community partner asking you to come and worship in their building, it's an obvious yes. So our team put together a small Easter service that we were able to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus together there. And not only did we have a service, but we had guests there. I mean, we were like, man, we have arrived. We were ahead of schedule. We, we're going to make it. Like, we, we are going to plant a church, and we're going to do pretty good at it. Well, that's when everything changed. Because uh, after the service, when we are celebrating all that God had done in that service, I'm starting to feel like we're, we're validated as a church planting team. We're going to be fine. Uh, some of our, one of our core families, the Fowlers, uh, Gabriel and Sarah Fowler. Gabriel, Gabriel was a chef here in Pittsburgh. Sarah uh, was a basket, head basketball coach at uh, Robert Morris. And they approached us and they were like, wasn't that amazing? That service was awesome. We got some news for you. 
And that's when they proceeded to tell us that she was going to be taking a head coaching basketball position in Philadelphia. They were going to leave. I remember thinking, what? Like, we have a church to plant. Like, what? What are we going to do? You, I mean, if you take two people from 12, that's like 20% or something like that. Like, that's a big deal. Like, what are you thinking? And I remember where I was standing. I was rocked. I was sad. Like, I was really a little bit hopeless. And something in my heart there was revealed, though, that I feel like came, became clear uh, as we began to uh, process these things. And what I found was that my motivation— And my metric for success in planting a church was wrapped up completely in how successful we were as a church and if we were seeing growth. You see how that would happen? Because I was on the the mountaintops at this service, like, man, we're making it. But then it takes one news from a family member that they're from a family that says they're leaving for it to be shaken. And so I felt that I was wrapped up in, are we growing? Are new people showing up? Or are we just seeing numbers grow? Like, are we, are we going to make it as a church plant? And I realized that all of that motivation only left us temporarily excited or temporarily discouraged. And it was in those moments that I believe that we had to wrestle with, why are we doing what we're doing? Do we want to just gather a room full of people And call it a church plant and be excited about that? Or do we want to see real gospel impact in our community? Do we want to build our church or do we want to build the the, the kingdom? And so it was here in those those times that I believe God changed our path forever as a church. uh, Changed my heart forever as a church. And he reminded me this very simple truth. And that is this. He gave me a greater mission, I would say, to place my focus to place our focus. And that is that the church is called to grow the kingdom of God by making new disciples. So you see this this greater mission, because it's not just the church is called to grow itself in any means necessary. No, the church is called to grow the kingdom. So there's the new vision. But then there's also some instruction on where to spend your energy. It's on making new disciples. It's on seeing new people come to faith. And that's where I felt that we began to see our focus change. And you may say, like, duh. Like, this is not a profound truth. But I believe when we understand this, it reshapes all that we are. It reshapes what we celebrate. It reshapes what we aim for as a church. Because, look, when we understand this, when our family understood this, then we, we don't despair when the Fowlers take the next step to Philadelphia. But we celebrate that we get to send them on the next step in the journey as they go to expand the kingdom in a new place. You see that? When we understand this, uh, then we, we're not just aiming to grow any means necessary by just getting other Christians to come to where it looks like we have a gathering. No, now our focus is that we would be a church specifically for the lost and the disconnected in our community. It changed us. And I would say it's not just for a church plant. It's not just for uh, pastors even to think about. But I think it also shapes us as believers. You think about when we understand this, then we will willingly let go of people we love, family members that we love, when they are called to take a step 
for the Lord to take the gospel somewhere else. We, we allow ourselves to understand that this is what the work of the church is. Also, it means that whenever we see another church plant pop up in, a new, in our community, we aren't nervous or territorial, but we're excited because we're on the same team. We're aiming for the same goal. It also shapes like that we understand that the work of the church extends past the walls of this building and extends into our homes, into our neighborhoods, and into our workplaces. We understand this. It changes us. Because I think we would all agree we want to make a kingdom impact. That's our goal. It should be on this side of eternity, to make a kingdom impact. And so what I want to do for us today is, one, show us that if we're going to make a kingdom impact as a church— as churches, then we have to be kingdom-minded disciples. Because kingdom-minded people make kingdom-minded churches. Kingdom-minded churches become powerful tools for kingdom work. And so that's what I want us to aim for today. And this is going to be our outline. So first what I want to do is provide for us like a kingdom glimpse. So we want to peek into what God desires us to understand about the kingdom and how that shapes who we are. And so we're going to get a kingdom glimpse, and then from there, we are going to um, unpack the ways that we grow as kingdom-minded disciples. And so that would be one that we would adopt a kingdom mindset, uh, that we would begin to think uh, in a kingdom uh, worldview, that we would also understand what it looks like to put forth kingdom effort. We would also see that sometimes that requires kingdom sacrifice. And then finally, the end goal, that we would hope to see kingdom success. So that's what we're going to unpack in our time together. So let's start here, Revelation chapter 5. And so I also want to provide a disclaimer. Usually when, we're, uh, when I'm preaching, I want to stay in one text and unpack it verse by verse. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to be jumping around uh, as we get this broad view of the kingdom. And so just uh, understand that we're going to try to have all the slides up here that you won't have to chase around everywhere. But I'll try to be clear where we're going. So Revelation chapter 5, let's start there. Okay, so this is our kingdom glimpse. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Uh, this is a peak, I would say, into the end. This is, uh, I believe, a, the final chapter where we see the culmination of our faith land here. This is what's coming. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In verse 10, listen to this. And you have made them a kingdom, one kingdom. That does not say you have made them this conglomeration of churches here and there and everywhere. It says you've made them one kingdom. This is where it all leads, in the throne room of eternal worship, where Jesus is being lifted up and exalted for his sacrifice for all humanity, and they're celebrating that Jesus ushered in not just a bunch of different disconnected people saved by faith, but a kingdom that is all one and built on the blood of Jesus. This is the kingdom, okay? So what we see here is that this goes beyond the individual outposts of churches. So it goes beyond Northgate. It goes beyond pursuit. This is the kingdom of God made of all churches from all times. And not only that, but we also see this is a future reality that we will enjoy. 
For those that are in Christ, this is a future reality for us to enjoy. Now, what else do we see about the kingdom? Matthew chapter 3. So this is John the Baptist, the one who was called to pave the way for Jesus, the one who was called to prepare people for the coming Messiah. This is what John the Baptist had to say. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand. Kingdom's at hand. And then Jesus reinforces the same idea. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus and John the Baptist had the same thing in mind, saying that Jesus stepping onto the scene ushers in this time now where the kingdom is at hand. But we just said it's a future reality. So, so where do those, how do those things reconcile? Well, what Jesus and John are both highlighting is this, that the kingdom has come near because the king has come near. The kingdom is at hand because the, the king is at hand. Because we see that Jesus, in the most important moment in the history of all the universe, the God of the universe, puts on flesh, comes to earth in the form of man as Jesus, and begins to proclaim about an eternal kingdom that's not of this world, but is one to come. And he's saying, follow me and I'll take you there. And he says, this is the eternal kingdom. This is the future reality that you can now lay hold of because me, the king, has made it tangible. So Jesus makes the kingdom of God tangible. And what's interesting is what is connecting these concepts in both of these verses. So he says, how do you get into the kingdom? Is it to give to the needy? Is it to just live a pretty good life? Is it to just be a good and loving family member? Is it just to do good things? Is it just to show up at church anytime you can? It says, repent and believe. He makes clear that the kingdom of God is built on the proclamation of people seeing Jesus as worthy of worship and recognizing that this is where I must follow and spend my life now is behind the king of the universe. And it's through repentance. And so what I see, what I love here is that it's a future reality, the kingdom, future reality that Jesus has made tangible And it is expanded by the hope of the gospel going forth and changing the hearts of people. This is the the framework for the kingdom now. Now, where should this strike us as a church? If this is the kingdom, where should this strike us as the church? I love this, the book of Acts. So when we think of book of Acts, we generally think of it as this is the narrative of the expansion of the church, where we begin to see the church go from this place in Asia to eventually boom to around the world to where we now sit with the gospel here today. Generally, we feel like this is the the beginning narratives of that, and it is. But I want to show you something that Acts highlights. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is Jesus after the resurrection. This is what he says. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what was he doing? Speaking about the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God. Before the ascension, Jesus is highlighting the kingdom. This is how he commissions his disciples to stay focused on the kingdom. Now, Acts 28, which is the last book in, the, in Acts, or last chapter in Acts. And what we're going to see here is that the book of Acts is bookended by the same concept. Look here. These are the words of Paul. And Paul has planted a lot of churches at this point. And look at what he says. Verse 30. He lived there, Paul, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Listen to this. Proclaiming thee... All of the churches that he's planted, is he talking about all the churches? He's saying, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So you check this out. The book of Acts, which is the historical record of the church, begins with Jesus commissioning his disciples by saying, the kingdom of God is your focus. And then you see this work throughout all of the book of Acts where churches are being planted. The gospel is going out. And Paul ends his narrative on the book of Acts by saying, the kingdom of God is what we celebrate, not just the church. You see that? So it's the kingdom of God that births the church. It's the kingdom of God that sustains the church. And it's the kingdom of God that remains the church's motivation from now until eternity. That is a beautiful picture for us Because I think if we're honest, sometimes we need this reminder. Why do we exist as a church? Sometimes I think if we're honest, we, and it's okay to get here, we can find ourselves too busy, too content, or too comfortable to give ourselves to the building of the kingdom. And I say this from experience. At this, I feel like I'm on a balance beam as we plant a church because I'm constantly on this struggle of like looking to build and sustain and preserve our own kingdom, our own church, and really trying to live with a kingdom focus. We can find ourselves there at times. But I love how the king calls us to take a glimpse into the kingdom and he says, focus on this. Focus on the kingdom. And so this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So that's a kingdom glimpse. That's what we as the church are called to focus on, the kingdom of God. Now, how do we take steps toward that as kingdom-minded disciples? So that's what we're going to see here. So first is we must keep a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mindset. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus teaches on the kingdom. This is what he says. Verse 33, but seek first... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so Jesus is teaching a crowd of people, and he says, hey, seek the kingdom. He says, look, I know that there are things all around you demanding your attention, that are demanding your praise, that are demanding your time and energy, but look, I need you to stay focused on the kingdom. Keep your eyes here. And so we remember that Jesus makes the the kingdom tangible, right? Where he's saying, if you want to seek the kingdom, you seek me. You follow me. This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom. This is where your hope is. This is where your future is. But I want to tell you something. Here is what's scary. To keep our eyes, and I want you to hear this, to keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom It means that our kingdom is no longer the priority. Our kingdom. 
If you follow Jesus any length of time, and I trust that many of you have, then you would see this to be true. I just want to remind you some of the things Jesus says. Listen to this. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, deny yourself and come after me. This is the God of the universe making the kingdom tangible, saying, follow me. And this is what he says it's going to look like. He says, put your earthly treasures aside and follow me. Your new treasure is in heaven. He says, your body is no longer yours, but it's Christ. He says, your future is no longer yours, but it's God's. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is what he means by keep the kingdom first. Follow the king first. And so look, the call to seek the kingdom is one of great commitment and sacrifice. But I think if we're honest, where we find ourselves often is in this tug-of-war battle between the two kingdoms that we live in. We have the kingdom of God that we love and we love to, we're motivated by, but still seems distant, that we keep our hands on, but we also find ourselves keeping a pretty good grip on the kingdom here that we live in, and we find ourselves often at this between-two-worlds life. When Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself, I remember uh, where me and my wife, Kayla, I feel like really had to wrestle with this for the first time. Um, we were sitting at our dinner table early on in our marriage. And by early on, I mean like two months into our marriage. At this point, we were both in college and I was on, on pace to be a pharmacist. Kayla was on, on pace to be uh, a nurse. And we, I feel like just had a pretty good plan in place. Like we were gonna make some good money we were going to live a pretty good life, build some good careers. Eventually, when it was right for us, we'd, you know, we would have a family whenever that was to happen. And I remember us reading this verse, Matthew 6, 33, and I'll forever in my life remember this day where we said, seek first the kingdom of God. Are we doing that? Are we seeking his kingdom first? And what we had to realize is in that moment, we were not we were putting all that we had, all of our plans before that, which we would even ask the Lord to direct us. Now, I remember going to bed that night because we said, look, we have got to take this serious. What does it look like for us to seek his kingdom first? I remember going to bed that night, both of us crying, recognizing that this may mean sacrifice. This may mean things changing. This may mean our dreams changing. And then through a series of events, God called us to take steps of faith to where eventually, several years later, we find ourselves 550 miles north from any family and friends that we knew to plant a church here because we believe that that is what God was calling us to. We have to wrestle in this tug of war to seek the kingdom first, to seek Jesus first. And so if you're bold enough, I would encourage you to, when you get home today, maybe not today since the Super Bowl's gone, maybe tomorrow, and you're at the dinner table with your family or you're alone with your husband or your wife or with your friends, would you be bold enough to ask the question, am I, are we seeking Jesus first? It could change your life. And so I will say that that is the kingdom mindset. And so now kingdom effort, what does it look like? And what I, what I mean by this is not a, 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 like a large or small amount of effort. What I mean by this is where do we spend our effort? 
If we are kingdom-minded, what does it look like to, to direct our effort in kingdom ways? That's what I want to hit at here. And so I believe Jesus speaks to that, Mark chapter 4. He shares this parable, Mark 4, 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God, if you, if you ever just explore the gospels, Jesus speaks to the kingdom of God a ton. He says here, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. I love this. He knows not how. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So uh, now we understand the kingdom is the glimpse. Here we're going to see insight on how it is that the kingdom grows. And so I want to be clear, kingdom work, like what we do here when we gather together as believers, this is kingdom work. This is good kingdom work, good ways for us to spend our time and energy. Uh, When we serve and love one another in times of need, that is kingdom work. But what Jesus speaks to here specifically is kingdom expansion. How does the kingdom grow? How does it become bigger than it is now? Here is where Jesus teaches. And so he teaches in this parable, he uses a seed to illustrate the message of the gospel, and he uses the, the soil to be the hearts, the souls in which are receiving or not receiving of the gospel. And what's clear here is that we see a lot of mystery in this passage, right? You even see, he, he says he sleeps, he wakes up, and somehow it grows. Like, there's just a level of God doing what he does that I can't quite understand, there's also mystery, as we know from Matthew 13 in the parable in the, the, of the sower in the, in the soils, we see that there's mystery in the receptivity of the soil, if someone is receiving the word and how all of those things work out. So there is mystery here that's recognized. But what is clear, and hear this, what is clear is that the sower is throwing seeds. What is clear is that he or she, is doing his responsibility. He's casting the seeds. What I love, I would love uh, to use the word cultivate here, not just casting seeds, because cultivate means to prepare, means to develop. Cultivate uh, is not just throwing seeds blindly and leaving them. Cultivate means that we... uh, that the man would have certainly provided water when necessary. That cultivating means that he would have uh, picked the weeds out if it was beginning to drown it out. Cultivate means that if uh, an animal is coming, he's attacking them to get them away. This is cultivation. It's more than just blindly throwing seeds. It is creating an environment for the seed to take root and grow. This is cultivation. Cultivating, I believe, is how we seek to put forth a kingdom effort. Cultivating is, means that we are a constant presence of the gospel in what we say and how, and how we live. You hear that? This is cultivation. Cultivating means that our neighbors not only hear that we are Christians, but they see that we live a life that follows Jesus in the way that we love our spouse, in the way that we love our children, in the way that we are um, loving and caring for people. Cultivating means that our coworkers not only know that we are Christians, but also see it in the way that we work, in the way that we have hope. 
Cultivating means that we build, listen to this, cultivating means we build close, honest, transparent relationships with those that are far from God so that when their life begins to break and they face tension, they run to us because they know we love and care about them. This is cultivation. I want to remind us that we all have fields to cultivate. We all have fields to cultivate. It could be your home, your neighborhoods, your workplace, your mom's group, your favorite coffee shop, your gym. These are places for you to cultivate. And so we are called to be scattering the message of the kingdom and then creating relationships around those seeds to display for people, this is what kingdom living looks like so that the gospel would take root and it would be able to flourish under our cultivation. This is kingdom effort. And so our church, what we have decided to do is we recognize sometimes that's difficult for us. Sometimes we can get so busy with one another that we don't have time to cultivate our fields. And so what we have decided to do one week a month for the past year, and we will continue to do it, we have something called Pursuit Week. And so we gather on Sunday, and we don't gather again until the following Sunday. And we don't do anything that week with each other, specifically like in a, in a structured event. And we say, this is your week to go on pursuit. This is your week to go and take one step deeper in a relationship you already have. Go speak and build a relationship with someone new. Go and cultivate. And so we've tried to work that into the rhythm of our church because we recognize this can be challenging for us to do sometimes. And so we have to cultivate. This is kingdom effort. Now, I need to prepare you for this next point. Because living for the kingdom is a noble call. It is one that comes with a great deal of joy, a great deal of fulfillment. But it does not come without sacrifice. Kingdom sacrifice. And so I believe that Scripture is full of examples, and we, it doesn't take us long to see it, where God's people follow him, and as they follow him, sacrifice happens. Think about Abraham. And then all throughout the Old and New Testament, people follow God, and there is naturally often sacrifices. I believe a great picture that we get of this is Acts chapter 20. So this is Paul standing on the shore of Ephesus as he is about to embark on his next missionary adventure to Jerusalem to expand the gospel. And he has this conversation with the Ephesian elders, these people that he loves. And look what happens here, Acts 20, verse 25. And this is in a very Paul way, uh, the way that he uh, is just very matter of fact. This is what he says. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about, what were they doing? Proclaiming the kingdom. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul has been doing kingdom work with these guys in Ephesus, and he recognizes, hey, it's time for me to take this next step. And he says, I've got to go, and I may never see you again. These are people he loves. And he's saying, man, we have tears, we have joy, we have laughter that we have shared over the years. We've built a relationship. And we're coming to a point right now where I got to go to the next thing that God's calling me to, and I may never see you again. And I love how they respond. Uh, verses 26 through 35, we won't read, but he begins to encourage them in their ministry. And 36 here is beautiful. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. I want you to feel this scene. 
and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. So they're sad, like they are burdened at the fact that they, the kingdom of God is taking their friend. They may never see him again, but what do they do next? Do they hold on tight to him? Do they keep him from going to the ship? It says that they accompanied him to the ship. They said, Paul, look, I don't want you to go. I love you. You are a, such an encouragement to me. We, we see, though, that the mission of God has to expand. The kingdom has to expand, and so we'll take you to the ship. In our tears, we will take you because we believe in the kingdom, and we recognize that when we believe in the kingdom that sometimes our kingdom takes some hits. They believed it. They accompanied him to the ship. If we're going to live with a kingdom mindset, we have to understand that sometimes that comes with kingdom sacrifice. One of the greatest examples that I've seen of this, and I've seen many, but uh, our church that we were part of our residency in, at New Horizon in uh, Wexford, like I said, they were a church plant themselves. So they're only three or four years old themselves. And when they received us in uh, with intentions of planting, they knew that they would send us out eventually, us and our team. Now, what they did not know is that two or three years in, they would begin to identify that there was another church plant beginning to develop within their own church plant. There was a group of people who were in another geographic area that were commuting all the way to New Horizon to go to church. And they recognized that one of the two pastors of New Horizon could have the opportunity to lead them in a church planting work in Moon Township. And so I saw my friend, the pastor of New Horizon, process this idea of not only sending one church planting team, but to send another one at the same exact time for a desire of not just having one church, but having three churches in specific townships. Now, what that meant, though, is that he would take his membership from about 60 to about 30 people. That, he, that also meant that his budget would be cut in half and that they would take steps back towards that ground roots planting phase again after they had already become established as a church. And I watched my friend process this and hurt over that and struggle with that and eventually say, the kingdom of God calls us to sacrifice. The kingdom of God calls us to respond in this way. And I watched him commission not only us, but another full team from his small flock already and then begin to labor again in the work of planting. This was beautiful picture of sacrifice that will forever ingrain in me. And so not only that, I think that, uh, I think of the family that we're, our, our church is supporting a missionary family from Pittsburgh who is going to plant a church in the southern part of Spain, the Jorgensen family. It's Andrew and Heather Jorgensen. They have three little girls and they currently live next door to their in-laws and they're going to move across the world to take the gospel. That's sacrifice. I think it's here in these times we recognize that our treasure is in heaven, and that may mean sometimes we sacrifice some of the treasures we have here. This is a kingdom mindset that leads often to kingdom sacrifice. So last point here, what do we hope to see? So if we're going to be kingdom-minded disciples, yes, we got to have a kingdom mindset. We have to do king, put forth kingdom effort. We have to um, understand that comes with kingdom sacrifice. So what does success look like? 
What do we aim for? Acts chapter 2. Often when we think of Acts chapter 2, we see that as the fellowship of the believers, which is totally true. Uh, That's where we see the church gather together, breaking bread together, caring for one another's needs, loving each other, being the church faithfully together. But sometimes we miss what happens at the end of that chapter. Verse 46 and 47, I'll show you what's happening. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so I want to paint this picture for you. This is the disciples early on in their ministry. So what's just happened is that Jesus, as I showed you at the beginning, he is, he proclaims the kingdom. And then he goes to heaven and he says, hey, wait on the Holy Spirit. And then you go out in the Great Commission. So they go and they wait on the Holy Spirit and it falls on them. And it is there that then Peter preaches a sermon in which thousands of people step into the kingdom of God. And so I believe that this is then on the tail ends of that as they're seeing the number being added to them day by day. This is where I believe all of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, everything that he ever said about keeping our eyes on the kingdom became real for them as they began to see the kingdom expand. As they look out and they say, this is what Jesus was talking about. They begin to say, this is on earth as it is in heaven. This is the invisible kingdom becoming visible for us as we're seeing people come from death to life. This is the kingdom of God here on earth. This is how it grows. This is success. And this is where we have to put our energy towards. And listen, this is where we had to fight as a church to recognize we want more than just people going from church to church and calling it growth. We want people who are dead in their sin and disconnected from the body of Christ to experience new life and community with us. And we want to be a church that sees the kingdom expand, not just the deck reshuffled. And so this, I believe, is where we find our success. Now, we as the church, there are Thing, like us being the church faithfully together is success. But what I'm talking about is expansion. And this is where I believe we should pray to that end, that we would pray as the prodigal son in Luke 15, as the father sees his son coming to him and he runs to him and he begins to celebrate. And he says for this, my son who was dead and is alive again, who was lost but is found. That's what we aim for, is for people to step into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus and through the work of his life. So let us be a church that commits to the kingdom. Let us be churches that commit to the kingdom. Let me pray. God, you you put before us a beautiful picture of the kingdom. Uh, and in a sense, you simplify the task at hand, but, but also bring a huge weight to the task at hand. Recognizing why we exist as a church, what we're called to do and be as a church. And so I pray that today that we would have just seen at least a glimpse of what you have for us in eternity, in the kingdom. And that you would orient our churches around this desire to see more than just our churches grow, but we want to see the kingdom grow 
in a way that outlives us, that outlives our generations, that outlives our church buildings, and that we would begin to reap in ways that are not just here, but are in the kingdom in eternity. So Jesus, would you do that work in us and do that work in our churches? It's your name we pray. Amen.